This is a podcast by Christ Fellowship Northwest with our pastors Daniel and Robert. It is our hope that this can provide you with an educational and edifying listening experience during your week. Thanks for listening and be on the lookout for upcoming episodes. Hello, hello. Welcome to the first ever, the first ever episode of the Off Script Podcast. My name is Robert. One of the pastors at Christ Fellowship Northwest, and I'm joined by my friend and co-pastor, Daniel Barter. Daniel, how are you doing today? I am doing well today. Very good. It's good to be here. <laughs> awesome, Daniel. Man, I, your enthusiasm uh, for all of this just uh, just brightens my day, man. I couldn't help but notice that when we did the first take, you said good friend, but then when you did the second take, yes, you that, cut the good friend out. That is so. because, and I should tell all of our listeners why, right? Because... On the first take, I was judged for calling Daniel my good friend. Apparently, we're just average friends or whatever. Colleagues. Colleagues. We want to be colleagues? Yes. So I'm joined today by my colleague, Daniel Barta, on the first episode of our brand new podcast, Off Script. Uh, we are, we're really excited to, uh, to be able to, to bring this to you. We, uh, we've been sitting around dreaming about uh, a podcast uh, for quite a while now. There's, there's lots of things that... Uh, that we as pastors uh, talk about, study as a as a part of preaching and teaching God's word, and and uh, not much of that uh, makes it into the actual sermons that we preach. There's just so much depth and richness to uh, God's word that uh, much of it has to be cut as we're preaching week in and week out. And so we thought, what a what a what a great medium uh, podcasting is to be able to bring some of that. To you, and so so that's kind of our hope and uh, our our purpose behind off script. All the things that we would love to say, but just don't have time to say it on Sunday morning. So so Daniel, how are you feeling about this whole thing? Are you excited about it, or what are you thinking? I think our people are probably asking the question: How do we not fit stuff in forty minute sermons? <laughs> You're probably right. Well, just face it, we have lots of things to say, yes. right? We have lots of things to say. God has has given us just a, a deep well of of wisdom and uh, knowledge and information in His Word, and so we want to be able to we want to be able to mine that uh, for uh, for all of our listeners out there. And so today uh, we want to talk about a brand new sermon series that we have coming up at Christ Fellowship Northwest, a sermon series through the Book of Ecclesiastes that we're calling uh, Simple Pleasures. Uh, finding joy in the futility of life, finding joy in futility, I guess I should say. And uh, so, Daniel, um, tell us a, a little bit about Ecclesiastes. I, I asked Daniel several months ago to uh, to kind of begin dreaming up and uh, and crafting uh, a sermon series on Ecclesiastes. Daniel, tell us just a little bit about that process. You got you got thirty seconds. How that how that's been for you? Maybe something that God has uh, taught you as uh, a product of that. Yeah, so it was been, uh, I kind of started studying Ecclesiastes about a year ago, and uh, it was really, it was really stood out to me in the book of Ecclesiastes how the author just speaks very directly to the brokenness of life. A lot of times we, uh, we tend to hide it. We like to present ourselves as everything being in order, uh, everything kind of being neat and in place, that we've kind of got a control on things. Uh, but the author kind of pulls that veil back, and he just deals directly with the way we know the world to be. Um, it's, it's chaotic. Um, there are times where the things are happening around us that seem meaningless, they're pointless. Uh, we've got a bunch of why questions that are not answered. Uh, our life is really 
much characterized by brokenness. And uh, rather than hiding that, rather than kind of painting over it and ignoring brokenness of life, the author really just comes right to us in our mess and kind of addresses that and, and has something to say about the, the, the chaos that life is. Uh, and we all know what that, we all experience that. So it, the book is very relevant to, to us. Yeah, I, th- I think that's one of the things I appreciate most about the book of Ecclesiastes. The the writer, he, he really holds, he really doesn't hold his punches, right? He really uh, kind of pulls back the veil on uh, kind of the, the truth about life in a, in a fallen world. I well, like that he, uh, just kind of comment, the, we, we kind of, hide our mess because we think other people have their 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 sure. stuff together yeah. yeah and the author kind of comes with a fresh assumption that his life was a mess he experienced the chaos of life and he's he takes the safe assumption that you are also walking that messy uh, chaotic life that he did right so he has something to say to you yeah and so the writer of Ecclesiastes you know he he had an opportunity uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about the author in a minute, but uh, just kind of kind of broad understanding of the book, right? The the author of Ecclesiastes is has has this opportunity to embark really on this this experiment, this experiment to go and seek out wisdom, to try all of these uh, different opportunities and avenues for which we might find purpose and meaning, and go actually try them out and see if they um, if they turn out to be fulfilling or if they turn out in fact to be to be empty. And so as we're, as we're thinking about Ecclesiastes in that vein, one of the things that, uh, th- that we've been talking about in terms of uh, how to think about the book is this idea of advice, counsel. So I want to ask you, what's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? So when we started thinking about this question, I couldn't help but I tried to think of a better example because I was like, surely there's a better example. But the one that just kind of keeps coming back to uh, my mind is as a young husband, uh, you know, you get married, there's a lot of excitement about thinking about your future together and having your own home. So we got to buy our first uh, home. And what does that home look like? I got my vision for uh, the way our living room, kitchen, just this is the way that our home was going to be. And uh, to my surprise, my young wife uh, had a different view, right? A different vision for what our home Imagine should that, look like. Right, yeah. uh, hers, hers included much more pink in it than my, my vision did. Uh, so everyone knows, Daniel is surrounded by uh, women in his life. Yes. How many girls do you have now? Four, four daughters. And, four daughters. And one wife. Well, just uh, one. Just one wife, just to, clarify, to be clear. Just one wife. Yeah. Um, and so five women uh, very much influenced my my life surroundings. Uh, but there was this one instance where... Would it where be safe to say, Daniel, that you're very much in touch with your feminine side? Probably not. Okay. Probably All right. not. All right. yeah. Okay. Yep. <laughs> probably, probably not. Um, but anyway... Uh, there, there was an instance I remember my wife wanted to get a, uh, KitchenAid mixer. And so kind of like to rebel oh, against this, I wanted a red one, right? I like at least get something red to go like in the that. kitchen. Yeah. Right. And my wife really wanted a pink one. Right. And so <laughs> this, it seems, it seems very childish, but this became something that we kind of, I would not, didn't want to admit it back then, but I would admit it now is it became just kind of like a rub in in sure. the relationship. And so I remember sitting down with one of my mentors, a uh, professor at North Greenville, and kind of telling him what we were going through. And, and he sat back and listened for a little bit. And then he just kind of uh, gave me this, this older husband's advice to a younger husband. Dude, let your wife have the house, right? Decor- let her decorate the house. 
Let her do it the way that she wants to do it. It's good counsel. Right? She cares about it way more than you could, you do, or should. Uh, and so let her. And so I can honestly say I let it go then, right? And as we've progressed down our journey as a married couple, um, it has been good advice. It has been played out well uh, to be able to just step back and, hey, this is what I think. I think that silverware looks good. But, hey, whatever you want to do, you do it, right? And uh, it's been good for us. It's been good. Okay. It's been solid advice. Saved us a lot of arguments. All right. So yes. is there anything else in your house that's pink at the moment? There are a lot of things that are pink in my house. Minus the girl, minus the your daughter's rooms. I get that completely. But, I mean, is your bedroom pink? Your toilet Our bedroom pink? is not pink. Okay. Our bedroom is not pink. Okay. It, it's actually a lot of gray and white at the moment. Okay. All right. So... So best advice. Yes. So because what I'm, about you? Well, so th- thanks for asking, man. I appreciate. I'm supposed that. to throw this back. Yeah, you are supposed yes. to throw it back. So uh, I was thinking about this, uh, and not to like over spiritualize it or anything like that. And it's kind, mine's kind of related to yours, but so I have a a good friend of mine when I, when my wife and I we were living in Raleigh, North Carolina. I was doing seminary, and I worked for this guy. And one of the things that he used to always tell us. So I worked for him, and there were about four to five other guys that worked underneath me that I was responsible for, responsible for leading. And one of the things uh, that uh, my friend would, would always uh, remind me of and, and tell really all of, all of us often uh, was to always be willing to take the low place, right? Always be willing to take the, the low place. And so I just remember that, that, that line I think I'll take it to my grave with me, right? Just kind of stuck in my brain, right? That, um, and and my friend, he's he's a follower of Jesus and uh, loves the Lord, and, and it was a tremendous example for me in life. And and he he kind of embodied this, right? He was he was my boss, and and he was always looking for ways to to serve me and the guys that that worked underneath me. And so I'll, I'll never forget that. Just always being willing to take the low place. I think that really kind of embodies kind of who Christ was and is and, and kind of his, his ministry as coming as, um, as a servant, even though he was, he was a king. And so uh, probably top ten pieces of advice that I've ever gotten is always being willing to, to take the low place. And so as we're thinking about Ecclesiastes, right, this, this, this guy, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes, he's embarked upon this experiment to go and find wisdom, to go and test out all of these different ways that we might find purpose and meaning in life, and in some ways to kind of give us, the, the readers of Ecclesiastes, advice, counsel, um, wisdom. And so as, as we kind of jump into kind of the book itself, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to kind of lead things off with a quote um, by a guy named Zach S. Wine. Um, if you come to Christ Fellowship uh, Northwest and, and are, hear some of the, the sermons in the Simple Pleasures series, you're gonna you're gonna hear a lot of um, a lot of the things that we say have been influenced by Zach Eswan and his uh, his book on Ecclesiastes. But this is what this is what uh, Zach writes. He says Ecclesiastes sounds like a crazed man downtown. He smells like he hasn't bathed, looks like it too, and as we pass by, he won't stop glaring at us and beckoning to us that our lives are built on illusions and that we're all going to die. So most of us choose to get our lunch at a different shop on a less dreary corner of town. Now that's an interesting quote, right? Very much so. <laughs> if that's the case, right? And and this kind of fits with I think a lot of people, especially if you've grown up in the church, especially if 
you have any kind of background in um, religious studies, the Bible, anything like that, it kind of fits with a lot of people's attitude toward the book of Ecclesiastes. It's just strange. It's just odd and depressing. And, and depressing. And you read it and you almost feel like, man, I need to go take a shower and like go repent and ask for forgiveness, right? After like reading these things out loud. So why why are we studying Ecclesiastes? What's what what are we hoping to get out of this, man? So he we're studying Ecclesiastes because he's willing to do what we're kind of unwilling to do. Yeah, I think it's and good. that is to to deal with the mess. Um, we, we know that death is coming, right? But the way that we, a lot of times, uh, deal with death is we kind of put it out of sight and out of mind, right? We just forget about it. And the, the author of Ecclesiastes, the preacher, he's going to tell us it's better for you to spend your days at the morgue than it is for you to spend the days, uh, drinking and eating and being merry with your friends, right? That's depressing. Um, and so that's depressing, right? We would not, <laughs> that's not where we would, uh, host our next dinner party is at the morgue. But that's the advice of the preacher. And so he is he's constantly throwing the mess up and saying, you have to deal with it, and you've got to wrestle with it, and you have to have it. And he's and in order to do that, he's just on repeat, death is coming, death is coming. And everything between now and death is empty. Everything between now and death is is vain. And so um, we we need we need it. Why study it? Because we need it, right? We we ourselves need to look at the re- the way the world and life really are, and then try to find the solution from the revelation of God, right? Um, rather, the, the world needs a group of people who will not ignore these things or not paint them in a picture or, or in a light that they really aren't, but to be able to say, no, this is the way the world really is. This is the way the world exists. And we can, we can forget about utopia, right? We're not going to usher in a utopia um, through political power or through... Um, some advice we're going to get through counseling and, the, and appropriating that in our homes. No, the world is the way that it is, and the, the solution is not found in ourselves. It's found above the sun, right? It's found in the Creator who is above uh, this life below. Yeah, so do you, know, do you know when I always think about Ecclesiastes, there's, there are certain times of life when I always think about Ecclesiastes. One is when I come home from vacation, right? Uh, the other is at the end of a really good movie. Uh, I'm trying to think of, a, of another example. I don't have another one off the top of my head, but, but I, ever since I've, I've spent time studying Ecclesiastes, uh, for me it was you know, several years ago when I was in grad school, but uh, just th- what I took away from it, it, it always comes back to mind at the end of a, of a good vacation or at the end of a good movie that, that no matter how good those things were, right, no matter how fulfilling and restful, no matter how exciting and emotionally satisfying the movie was, right, that it ends, right, that it comes to an end, that, that any time I place uh, my, my hope, any time I look for ultimate meaning and purpose and satisfaction, really in anything under the sun, right, Ultimately, those things are going to let me down. The vacation is going to end. Eventually, I'm going to have to get in the car and drive home. Eventually, the credits are going to roll. If you think about your favorite Netflix series, right? Eventually, there's going to be a last season. And so being willing to take an honest look at the world, at the futility of it all, right? The the vanity of it all and 
um, and say what I think the writer of Ecclesiastes says that says that ultimately there's no hope in it, there's no satisfaction in it. I think is a is a really good thing because I I was thinking about it on my on my drive in today uh, in terms of the timing of of this series right like we're coming out of we're it's 2021 right we're coming out of a year where um, in many ways we were kind of forced to um, to rediscover some of those simple pleasures that uh, that maybe pre-quarantine, pre-COVID... We didn't have time for. We didn't have time for, right? Taking we, a walk around the neighborhood <clears throat> with your family. Yeah, that's right. Um, I was singing I was singing in the car right here, right? You know, a good book and a, and a hot cup of coffee, right? I, during quarantine, we had lots of time to kind of enjoy those types of things. And so I think it's a, I think it's a really timely kind of uh, series, really timely kind of book to study, right? As we as kind of a, a reminder to us not to forget some of the things that we were confronted with a year ago, that, that ultimately my job, uh, that, that Disney World trip that I'm banking my life on this summer, right, or whatever it might be under the sun, that ultimately that thing is not going to satisfy us. It's not going to bring me contentment and, and ultimate joy. Yeah, and I, I would maybe add just one more thing. Yeah. One more reason to study the book of Ecclesiastes is if you think about our mission statement as a church, uh, is to make disciples, reproduce leaders and, and churches, um, but for the sake that the world will know Jesus and worship him, right? Um, we have a mission to accomplish here, and we are doing mission in a messy, chaotic world where people feel hopeless. They feel they are looking for purpose. They are wrestling with the, with the meaninglessness of life, this sense of emptiness that they're carrying. And if we will turn our ear to the preacher— and the rest of Scripture um, will find an answer not only for ourselves, but not only does it help us solve and deal with this life under the sun ourselves, but it equips us to proclaim this gospel to a people who live lives in a messy, uh, messy world. That's the life we're speaking into. Yeah, indeed. Um, indeed. Well, let's talk a little bit about, <clears throat> about who wrote it, right? Let's talk a little bit about uh, who, who wrote this book there. There are generally uh, kind of three, I think, broad theories that we can kind of uh, dump everything in. One, I think, is kind of the, the traditional theory that it was written by Solomon, King Solomon, David's son. Um, the second would be a, a later king in the Davidic line. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes itself, I think, tells us that it was one of David's descendants, right, that is that is responsible for this uh, for this book, and then there's kind of a third theory where it says that some some other uh, Israelite later in Israel's history is kind of embodying this Solomonic figure um, in in the book of Ecclesiastes. So, um, what's kind of your take on that? And then um, and then I'll I can I can kind of share my thoughts on it as well. I lean towards Solomon. Okay. Uh, I think Solomon wrote it. I think the, I don't have a good reason not to believe it's Solomon. Yeah. I think there's several things within it that suggest it's Solomon. Uh, but at the very minimum, I would say we can say with good confidence that the person who wrote it was at least writing it from the perspective of Solomon. He wants you to think it's Solomon. Um, so I, I tend to I tend to be comfortable just reading it through the lenses if. This preacher is Solomon. Whether the author intends us to think of Solomon or it's actually Solomon, uh, I don't think it matters too much in how we interpret sure. or understand it. Yeah, yeah, I th- and I think it adds. I think it adds richness and depth to kind of understanding the the book as a whole. Right when we when we kind of settle on that, 
you know, it was Solomon or some Solomonic-like figure, right? Because you, th- you think of Solomon himself and all of the opportunities he had in terms of being a king of, of Israel, all of his wealth. Wisdom. Wisdom. Um, power. I mean, power. Uninterrupted pleasure. Um, do whatever he wanted to The do. guy could do whatever. The guy could host bigger backyard barbecues, bigger birthday parties. He could buy bigger houses um, than almost anybody. And so if anybody had the chance to go and embark on this experiment in wisdom, it was definitely, definitely him. So we're we're gonna we're gonna run with this idea that it was Solomon or some Solomonic like figure. Talk to us a little bit about kind of the structure and the layout of the book. I think that's gonna be helpful for our people as as we're walking through the book of Ecclesiastes. Because again, this is a this is wisdom literature, right? This is not one of Paul's epistles, um, not one of the gospels. Um, talk to us a little bit about the structure of the book. So the structure can be if you dig in a little bit, you can see that people break it down in a very complex way, but I'm not. I don't think I'm a very complex person. I like to think of myself as simple. Robert's rolling his eyes at me, but uh, the simple way of breaking it down Prove for it. me anyway, all right, is that uh, uh, in chapters one and two, uh, the preacher is giving us this very hopeless look. He's just dealing with the way the life is, right? Life under the sun is uh, you and I running and running and running and going nowhere, making no progress, and then dying and leaving everything that we accomplished to somebody else who's going to waste it all the way and then die themselves. And so that's kind of the that's kind of chapters one and two. Um, I've tried everything, and everything is meaningless and hopeless, vanity, vanity, all is vanities. Um, when you get to chapter three, um, you see the author, you see the preacher kind of uh, introduce God and so he's dealing with life under the sun in chapters 1 and 2. In chapter 3, he's like, no, but there is this God who is doing things. There's, there's order. There is preciseness um, from God in these things that seem chaotic and meaningless. Right? He doesn't have a good grasp on it. He kind of lives in this mystery of, hey, things seem chaotic, but I know there's a God who's got a time and a season for everything. So he kind of introduces this, um, this uh, kind of... Um, balance right to this to the two perspectives he knows he's experiencing one thing chaos and meaninglessness but then he's kind of leaning back here on god and going no but there i know that there's i know there's some preciseness and plan going on here there's purpose here but i'm not sure how that works and so from the end of chapter three really through the rest of the rest of the book depending on how how nitpicky you want to get and how you divide the book up but he's really wrestling with those two things right um you got chaos i mean this is how i feel this is what i'm experiencing this is the way it looks oh but then there's god over here they gotta take into account and so how do i how do i make sense of what i know theologically what do i how do i make sense of what i know about god and what i'm experiencing in this broken and seemingly chaotic and vain world. So why why are we not going to cover, at least on Sunday morning, right? Why are we not going to cover chapter 7? So we are not going to cover chapter 7 because uh, we only have 10 weeks. <laughs> <laughs> only 10 uh, weeks? Ele- we have 11 weeks, 10 weeks with an introduction. Um, chapter 7 is... Uh, You'll you'll notice it's um, the structure of it. It's very it's they're, they're proverbs. It's like one verse proverb proverb proverb. It, it very much so like the book of proverbs is the way that it's uh, structured, the way that it's written. And you really kind of get these one-liners of that are kind of encapsulating much of what he's already said. So you're not going to really discover anything new in chapter seven. So it's to to be able to say, hey, chapter seven is going to kind of inf- help inform some of the things you're going to hear us quote chapter seven. Um, but since we're dealing with it topically as we walk through the book, um, chapter seven kind of has all the topics in it, yeah. 
expressed through Proverbs. And so you'll see us use those, but we're not going to preach a, an exegetical sermon through the book, of, through the chapter 7. So one of the, uh, the major themes in the book of Ecclesiastes is this idea of, of vanity, right? Um, depending on who you read on Ecclesiastes, depending on how you interpret the book yourself, right? Uh, some people say it uh, means this idea of meaninglessness, right? Uh, I've heard that that definition used before. We've kind of we've kind of latched onto this idea of futility. Of when I when I hear futility, I think of like banging my head against the wall, right? Kind of doing the same thing over and over again and expecting kind of similar results or the same results. Um, how how would you say kind of in your own life that you've experienced the vanity that the writer of Ecclesiastes writes about? Any ideas for that? He introduced this question to me just now. I did. Off the <laughs> he fly. He threw it on me. On the fly, off the cuff. I'm very flexible, though, so I can have, I can answer you. Yeah, he's so flexible, guys. <laughs> um, the, how have I experienced this vanity in life? Um, well, while you think about it, let me talk about a couple ways that I've experienced vanity, yes. right? So futility. So... Uh, <clears throat> Specifically, like with work, right? That you know, uh, I've I've had uh, a number of jobs uh, <laughs> in my in my working career. One of the ones where I where I think I experienced some of the most futility is I was a car prep at Enterprise Rent a Car when I was in seminary, and so what that means is I was the dude in the back of the Enterprise Rental place that washed your car after you dropped it off. So. When soccer moms would bring their uh, rental van, rental minivans in there, I'd have to clean up the goldfish genocide that took place in the back seat. Um, the uh, the Kool Aid spilled all over the couples. We had this one guy, and he would always rent this one car. And I kid you not, Daniel, he would bring it back every time, and there would be McDonald's cheeseburgers floating in the cup holders, and they would be floating in Coca Cola, right? And so I would clean these cars, and they would be they would be beautiful. They would be spotless, right? And without a doubt, they would go out and they would come back and they would be covered in dirt and grime. It amazes me to no end how you can tell someone who rents a car, there is no smoking in these vehicles. You can get in the rental cars and there are these big stickers all over the the dash. There, You have a little cigarette and a circle with a line through it. You know, no smoking. And they always come back smelling like smoke. So I think that's one of the, the ways that I saw futility just like up front. No matter, how, no matter how well I cleaned the car, no matter how much effort I gave, how much I devoted myself to it, that car was going to go out. It was going to come back dirty. And I could do that every day until the day that I died. And there would still be dirty cars. There would still be dirty cars. Do you have an example like that? You yeah, so the thing that comes to my mind is trying to keep a house clean with young children. Oh, yeah, that's perfect. So, like, it's bedtime. The kids are in bed. You maybe got an hour and a half, maybe 30 minutes for me, but before I go to bed. <laughs> uh, and you go to bed, like, 7.30? There's always that question. Yeah, something like that. Okay. Uh, there's always the question of, do I clean the living room floor or do I just leave it for tomorrow? Yes. Because if I clean the living room floor... Tomorrow, I'm going to be facing the same exact thing. My house is never in order. It's never, the work is never done, right? You, you buy these done. things to organize. You buy uh, these containers. You <laughs> put labels on things. 
you clean up, you put things away, and then you turn around and it's all chaos again, right? Uh, that 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 to me is a good picture of yeah. the futility, the constant running and running that that uh, the preacher mentions in yeah. uh, chapter two. The rivers run and run, but they never fill up the sea. Right? Yeah. That's life. We are constantly doing and doing and doing and doing, and really we just end up back at the same place, a messy messy living room floor. At least that's my experience. Right? Yeah. So that's what comes yeah. to mind. Thanks for helping me out with the the question <laughs> that you, you gave me there. Yeah, so it's this idea, this idea of vanity that, you know, there is a, a futility in life that, you know, uh, I've heard this this word described before as as smoke, right? As, uh, if, you th- if you think about, uh, if you've ever been to like a rock concert or some type of like big event where there's been pyrotechnics and, you know, there, uh, you see this kind of like haze that kind of falls over the stage or over the crowd, and and it looks solid, right? It looks like you can reach out and you can touch it, but if you were to do that, right? If you were to reach out and grab it, like it would just it would just pass through your hands. It would be it would be futile, right? Futile to try to grab handfuls of the smoke, and so I think that's a good word picture of of what. Uh, vanity is sort of this this futility, this banging your head against the wall that we're going to see over and over again in the book of Ecclesiastes, because that's that's what the writer is trying to point out to us the the vanity of of life under the sun. And I think of cotton candy, really. So like cotton candy, like it's got this big container that's full of yeah, that's good, full of candy. It's better than like the little packet that has four or five yeah, you know, sweet tarts in it or whatever. But when you actually put it in your mouth, it just kind of goes okay. away, right? It has a little bit of, there's a little bit of a hint of pleasure there. It's a little sweet, but it's gone. It leaves you hungry. It's empty. Daniel, right? I'm impressed, man. Off the cuff. Hadley. Hadley helped me with sermon prep yeah. at the zoo a couple weeks ago. Because um, I was thinking, too, like the bag of Lay's potato chips. Yes. Right? <clears throat> it has the illusion of fullness, right? A big puffy bag, yes. right? But and you go open it, empty. and it's like, yeah. yeah. It's good. Vanity. Vanity. So, Thinking along those lines, right, in Ecclesiastes, vanity, futility, um, Ecclesiastes is a very depressing book, but it is it is one book that makes up the canon of Scripture, God's Word, and we believe that, that every book of the Bible in some way is telling one story that's ultimately the story of the gospel, the story of God's plan of redemption. In some way, right, all of the Bible is pointing to Christ, so how are we going to see that through this sermon series? Like, how do we get from Ecclesiastes um, to to Christ? I've got some ideas about this, but I'd love to hear kind of what what you're thinking. Yeah. So the as I mentioned, the structure of the book, Jesus or not Jesus, but the the preacher is wrestling with what he experiences in this life under the sun. Uh, he also knows theologically that there's this God who has purpose and order. He's given a time and a place. We know the famous verse in chapter 3, uh, a time and a place for everything. He's marked the seasons and the ends. And so you see this preacher who's, who's walking this chaotic life with this hope in this God who's, who's got a purpose and a plan, and he's not sure how those things fit together, but he's leaning into this God who has a purpose and plan. He's, he's trying to take comfort and rest there. But when we flip to the New Testament, we actually get more than what the preacher had. The preacher has this God who's ordered, right? And he's trying to make sense. But in addition to knowing that God has order and purpose and plan, we also see in Christ that he is good and that he's wise and he's loving. 
So not only do we walk through this chaotic life with the assurance that the chaos is ordered and designed by God, but that God who orders it and designs it is wise and good and loving, right? And so I don't know what he's up to. I can't always make sense of it in the moment, but I can rest assured, not just in a God who's got order. There's not just a purpose, but that purpose is in a God. It's from a God who is loving, wise, and good also. Yeah, so the kind of the line that I took from Ecclesiastes to the gospel was really kind of on the back of this idea of, of vanity or futility, right? The banging your head against the wall, smoke, whatever you want to talk about it. And it kind of took me to Romans chapter 8. Uh, I'm going to read verses 18 through 20. Uh, Paul, he, he's writing there about kind of the future glory that awaits all of us who are in Christ, right? Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected, here's the word, to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, here again, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And so uh, Romans 8 reminds us that ultimately this futility that, that we all experience in the world was ultimately brought upon the world by God, that God did it, and he did it for a very specific purpose. Obviously, this was a result of our sin, right, of Adam and Eve's sin. and God and in response That's to exactly our sin. right. Yeah, God in response to our sin, right? But God has, God has brought this upon the world in response to our sin in order to teach us that ultimately none of those things that we are prone to and tempted to place our hope in will ultimately satisfy us. He's doing, he has subjected the world to this futility to turn our attention to him and ultimately to Christ, right? To, to his son who came and died in our place, to, to forgive us of our sins and to restore us to this right relationship with this God who made us and this God who is the ultimate source of our, of our hope and our satisfaction. Well, guys, we, uh, we really hope that, that you enjoy uh, this, uh, this sermon series through Ecclesiastes called, called Simple Pleasure. Simple Pleasures, we, uh, we're really looking forward to, uh, to preaching it and uh, looking forward to, uh, to sharing with you more uh, off-script podcasts. And we hope that, that you'll join us here um, as, we, uh, as we roll these things out over the, the next uh, coming weeks. Uh, we will see you very, very soon. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, Josh, thanks. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Everyone be on the lookout for more episodes and tell your friends. Bye for now.